Hi, this is Cliff Kriego for the picture-poems.com and the Circle in the Square website. Thanks for tuning in. This is our May Day Tree of Life podcast for 2017. We're coming to you again from Happy Eagle Valley at the foot of the Eagle Cap Wilderness in Northeast Oregon. The podcast runs about an hour this time. There are 13 different tracks. First up is The Good and the Bad, a set of miniatures. Number two is a protest piece called What Would You Do The Earth Ask? And like many of the pieces featured in this podcast, they're going to be used in a performance circle musical composition that I'm working on presently. Third up is an introduction to a new Rilke translation of Todesefaun, Death Experience. This particular new translation is being used by Spike Lee, a one of the films for his new series being produced for Netflix. I think it's called She's Gotta Have It. Number five, completely different in character, is a meditation on the root cause of racism. Number six is another collection of miniatures and poems, Confusion is Pandemic. It's kind of the center of the set. It begins with a little epigram. Once confusion is pandemic, the most radical and creative of all forms of resistance is clarity. Number seven is another set of miniatures uh, called uh, The Poetry of Images. Eight is another meditation on the loss of truth. Nine is a longer narrative poem, quite different in character. It's an important piece for that musical composition that I uh, referred to called Omphalos, or the center of the world. Number 10 is a new Dutch translation of one of the finest living Dutch poets, Rimko Kampert, of Resistance. Eleven is a fairly difficult philosophical, metaphysical piece on what I call the secular Christian, a new, very destructive metaphysics. Twelve is another piece on philosophy, but it's much lighter in a way, it's much opener in tone on real philosophy. Thirteen, as a coda, another set of miniatures, with its main theme on what I think of as the simplicity-complexity cycle. Well, there you have it. That's the entire hour. It's a long show, so it might be better to download it. And as always, let me know what you think. So, signing off, for the picture-poems.com website in the circle in the square. This is Cliff. Ciao for now. The good and the bad. In nature, the good and wholesome plants outnumber the poisonous one hundred to one. Walking down a city street, the good people outnumber the bad by at least a thousand to one. And yet, we're all still prisoners in this dark side of the devil's percentage. Defeated before we begin, held captive by our own self-created fear, unwilling to trust, unwilling to taste but once the pure waters of the abundant good.
truth and function. We don't see nature directly. We see our map of nature. It has many distortions which lead us astray. New perception begins in awareness of the map, a kind of attuning the mind to the ground of truth, much like we tune the strings of a violin, not by running after the idea of perfect intonation, but rather by simply taking away the noise, the beats, the interferences of a mere television-like projected reality that are in the way. ID card, where is the form I can check off? My religion is nature, my country, earth. Life without ethics. There's not much science in ethics, but then there's not much ethics in science either. That's bad. Weaponry or livingry, the question of our time. We shape the world, and the world shapes us. Are we to continue down this path of force, violence, and fossil fuels? Or simply stop, turn around, and fully embrace the sun, the question of our time? So-called defense burns up two billion dollars a day simply in the futile attempt to retain control of the world's last remaining oil. That's more than the budget of the great state of Oregon for an entire year. Follow the sun, I say, and we'll have no more need of this state terrorism of imperial governments. As surely as the earth turns around the sun, the future of worldwide freedom and democracy depends on it. The question of our time. Livingry is a term coined by R. Buckminster Fuller, great poet designer of the geodesic dome, a favorite quote of mine of his. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a better model that makes the existing model obsolete.
What would you do? The earth asks. The engine of the world is running hot, almost out of oil, and all the warning lights are flashing red. You're in the back seat, and the people have appointed an illegitimate brash dandy of a self-centered delusional psychopath that doesn't even know how to drive to take the wheel. What would you do? The earth asks. You speak, and he tells you to shut up. He says the warning lights are fake. He looks in the rearview mirror not at you, but to straighten his hair. He repeats over and over again that he's the best driver out there. He laughs and grabs the crotch of a young harlot next to him. One last look in the mirror and this time, he winks at you in a most alarming way. With this, his trumpet says, Come on, honey, pump it. As he pushes the pedal with a vengeance to the floor. You hear the engine roar. You smell the intense heat. You see the red lights flash. What would you do? The earth asks. Images from the periphery of time. Anyone who has had the opportunity to hike or climb in one of the great mountain ranges of the world will have noticed that something extraordinary happens as one ventures above tree line. The higher one goes, leaving behind the closed evergreen forest and stepping out into the treeless alpine tundra, the more one has a powerful sense of space opening up and time slowing down. As hinted at in the photograph above, standing almost a vertical kilometer above the glaciers shown below, one sometimes has a feeling of being taken back through the eons to the primal origins of life on the earth itself. Rock. Ice. Sky. Man. Woman. Nothing else. And then there is the sense of the vastness of time itself, of life stepping into the flow of the physically manifest flourishing a while and then somehow mysteriously returning, much like snow crystals emerging out of clear cold air, lingering a while, then vanishing in the palm of one's hand. In the two poems presented here, both from Rilke's mature work in the new poems, we encounter similar themes. What I find most striking about the somewhat abstract and awkward Eve is Rilke struggling to find the language for the fact that all life as it manifests is necessarily limited, and even at its peak, aspiring towards death, and yet God she had barely known at all. How different is the language of death experience? In this little-known masterpiece, we find Rilke using with complete confidence an imagery and tone which is very close to Shakespeare and yet very unlike the other poems of the collection. In an era in which we are all at least outwardly conditioned by a mechanistic science to time as measured by the clock and matter devoid of all spirit, Rilke's moving closing lines. But you're far away, removed out of our performance existence, sometimes overcomes us 
as an awareness ascending upon us of this very reality, so that for a while we play life rapturously, not thinking of any applause. Seem to take us back, like high mountain and glaciers sometimes do, to a place where for a brief moment we stand above and beyond the movement of beginning and ending itself. Death Experience We know nothing of this going away that shares nothing with us. We have no reason, whether astonishment and love or hate, to display death, whom a fantastic mask of tragic lament astonishingly disfigures. Now the world is still full of roles that we play, as long as we make sure that, like it or not, death plays too, although he does not please us. But when you left, a strip of reality broke upon the stage through the very opening through which you vanished. Green, true green, true sunshine, true forest. We continue our play, picking up gestures now and then, in anxiously reciting that which was difficult to learn. But you're far away, removed out of our performance existence, sometimes overwhelms us as an awareness descending upon us of this very reality, so that for a while we play life rapturously, not thinking of any applause. Todeserfahrung Wir wissen nichts von diesem Hingehen, das nicht mit uns teilt. Wir haben keinen Grund, Bewunderung und Liebe oder Hass dem Tod zu zeigen, den ein Maskenmund tragischer Klage wunderlich entstellt. Noch ist die Welt voll Rollen, die wir spielen, solange wir sorgen, ob wir auch gefielen, spielt auch der Tod, obwohl er nicht gefällt. Doch als du gingst, da brach in diese Bühne ein Streifen Wirklichkeit durch jenen Spalt, durch den du hingingst. Grün, wirkliche Grüne, wirkliche Sonnenschein, wirklicher Wald. Wir spielen weiter, bang und schwer erlernt es hersagend und gebärden dann und wann aufhebend, aber dein von uns entferntes, aus unserem Stuck entrücktes Dasein kann uns manchmal überkommen, wie ein Wissen von jener Wirklichkeit sich niedersinkend, so dass wir eine Weile hingerissen das Leben spielen nicht an Beifall denkend.
The root cause of racism isn't skin color. It's the destructive nature of thought itself. I wrongly divide myself from the world. Everything other I either ignore or fear or seek to control or destroy. The geometry of life is not two guns pointed at each other. It's a circle. We're all brothers and sisters, you and me, the tree, the river, the rock, the sky. Our war against nature, against ourselves, only ends with a revolution of thought in consciousness. Once confusion is pandemic, the most radical, creative form of resistance is clarity. As the mud settles on the turbulent waters of collective awareness, we see the use of democracy to destroy democracy, the use of tolerance to destroy tolerance, the use of freedom of speech to destroy freedom of speech for what they are, unjust, violent, mean-spirited assaults on truth itself. With clarity comes right action, for it instantly gives new energy to everything we make, say, and do.
Imagine nature reduced to a place filled with straight, dry, brittle stems, covered from root to crown with prickly thorns. That is what we ourselves become when we lose the complementarity of masculine and feminine principles. Scotch thistle, onopordum, acanthium, an aggressive biennial weed of the northwest with spiny leaves and spiny wing stems. Humans are the only beings in nature who are constantly preoccupied with what they are not. out of movement. It is the outward envelope of the rhythmic pulse of life. The river creates itself the boundaries of the bed that order and give structure to its flow. As a footnote, everything that's gone wrong in music and dance becomes instantly obvious if we think not in terms of sound or notes or steps, but simply in terms of movement. an extinction of a different kind. Of all the extinctions currently underway, the one that saddens and frightens me most receives little, if any, attention. It's the extinction of the free spirit. By free spirit, I mean exactly that, an intelligence that is not tied to anything, and which can therefore find out the truth of a matter with integrity, independence, and most especially without fear of loss. This is the man or woman, young or old, age here makes no difference, who is capable of examining a thought or idea and following it like a thread through a labyrinth of possible dead ends 
missed implications and inconsistencies to its logical ground and source. My contention is that the man or woman of free spirit is becoming exceedingly rare. The Poetry of Images The poetry of images evokes the text without the words. The texture of images evokes the feel without the touch. The music of images evokes the sound, the rhythm, of the dance without the voice without the drum Epithets of a Species for David Landrum Miraculous, Mischievous, Miserable Epithets of a Species placed in the order of our choice Mischievous, Miraculous, Miserable Born naked into a web of dependencies in a harsh, brutal, indifferent world. Miserable, mischievous, miraculous. Instrument of the mind, a compassionate intelligence of infinite subtlety that mirrors both itself and the whole Miraculous, miserable, mischievous. Soul life form that till the end of time must walk the sharp knife edge of its own self-destruction. Miserable, mischievous, miraculous. The choice of epithets is our own.
and the wayside for all Numa blue sky. What's a weed but the unwanted noise of another man's music? But beyond the margin, that little strip of uncultivated life to the side of a well-traveled road, rank growth is my splendor. Everything needs a place to be, and here even the weeds feel at home, a free space where the troublesome have gathered together, unfolding their own songs, flowering in peace. Loss of truth. With any culture, an indifference to the loss of truth is a sure and certain sign of portending collapse. When they tell you the water is good, when the water is bad, and that the food is good, when the food is bad, and that they kill only in self-defense, when they stage the attacks ruthlessly themselves, then we can no longer say for sure how much longer Nemesis will hold her breath. Pure, clear mountain water, touchstone of the sacred, shared source of spiritual excellence in the great commons of both nature's in cultures, trust.
Omphalos. They released two golden eagles from the far corners of the earth and knew that where they would come together and touch wings, there they would find the center of their world. Sometime after the performance is over, lean your ear carefully against the wall of the concert hall and let it speak to you. It is possible that the wood holds within itself the countless subtle movements of all past performances, all sounding together at once as silent echoes within echoes within echoes. Perhaps it is this resonance of the past that reaches out to touch and inform the present moment. Space. The silence of the blank page from which the sound of words emerges. Space. The violin on the table, not yet tuned, but we already sense the almost manifest shape of all past and future concerti. A child might touch it, and hear the wind moving through the crowns of trees in a distant forest. Forest, wood, space. The master carpenter travels with his two young apprentices from village to village. They go on foot and are welcomed everywhere. With luck, they will help you build your home. It will last a thousand years. Wood, forest, space. But where shall we place it? The mark of the Omphalos. We see it even at a great distance, erect, standing straight up into the air, artifact of a proud geometry. What was here before this city was built? Does it always begin with the placement of but a single stone? Terra Omnis terra, in exaltatione, terra. Surely the river remembers, and perhaps the older solitary trees, placed and planted by others long ago, ask the same question. You see it in the way their powerful branches weave themselves into the surrounding air and protect it and offer a sanctuary. Let us go then together, slowly, hesitantly, from tree to tree, you and I, from tree to tree, crossing swiftly fences and wires in wide, noisy, dangerous roads. Surreal city, we pause and listen to the sound. From a distance, the mark of the Omphalos, artifacts of ruler, triangle, and square, nets grids thrust out upon the world, bold gestures cut in stone. In exaltatione omnis terra. Unreal city, unreal. Space. The orchestra of strings stops to tune and tune again sensing the hushed sway of trunks in a distant forest. Space. Where should we place our man of stones to mark where others have gone before us and who have disappeared in this city? Mark of the Omphalos. Not a monument, no supernaturally proportioned horse or artist or military man, but a dream Surreal city, of many who rose to speak as one, of freedom and with great urgency, and at that moment the sound of all creation passed through their voice. Unreal city. Long before, the ancients knew that images of gods could never be brought down to earth. Omnis terra, exalted. We stand on a bridge above a highway, all highways, together, listening 
to that sound. One breath of the bow in the symphony sounds out into voices of pure silver and glass. Et in secula seculorum. But a dream, city. But a dream. Resistance doesn't begin with big words. A poem by Rimko Kampert, read and translated by Cliff Krigo. Resistance doesn't begin with big words, but with small deeds, like a storm with a soft rattling in the garden or a cat that gets a bit mad in the head. Like wide rivers with a small spring hidden away in a forest. Like a sea of fire with the same wooden match that lights a cigarette. Like love with but one look a touching of something you notice in a voice. Asking yourself a question, with this begins resistance, and then asking another this same question. Verzet begint niet me grote woorden. Verzet begint niet met grote woorden, maar met kleine daden, zoals storm met zacht ritsel in de tuin, of de kat die de kolder in zijn kop krijgt. Zoals brede rivier met een kleine bron verscholen in het woud. Zoals een vuurzee met dezelfde lucifer die een sigaret aansteekt. Zoals liefde met een blik in aanraking, iets dat je opvalt. In een stem. Jezelf een vraag stellen. Daarmee begint verzet. En dan die vraag aan een ander stellen. of the secular Christian. Give evil nothing to oppose and it will disappear by itself. Lao Tzu, Tao Te Ching. Please pause a moment and try a simple thought experiment with me. Imagine yourself to be a naturalist from a different solar system who studies the many varied species of cultural human. Of course, in the spirit of objective scientific endeavor, He merely describes and catalogues what he sees, thereby calling attention to what he believes are relevant, salient features. As a kind of karma yoga or practice of enlightened non-attachment, 
he does not in any way attempt to change or influence the behavior of his subjects. Now, what interests him most is Homo sapiens' signature, defining ignorance of the formative movement of the mechanical nature of thought as a whole. That is, why we think and act in such a way as to almost invariably create conflict in all our relationships. As a secondary variation, He's also interested in how any number of self-destructive worldviews are imposed on top of, and flow out of, like computer programs written on top of ill-designed operating systems, this basic ignorance of thought's divisive nature. One of the species of cultural human that fascinates him most is what he calls, the secular Christian. Its key features are, money has replaced meaning. The self-centered, me, has replaced, God, and pleasure has replaced ethics. The three taken together are obviously self-reinforcing, and predisposed to an almost impenetrable dark cloud of self-deception. Here's a rough sketch of our species. So far, his characterization is crystal clear. It's simply an inversion of meaning. Or a straightforward flip from what was once seen as bad is now seen as good. He sees this like inverting contrast in a black and white photograph, day turning into night. But what he can't quite figure out is that the secular Christian species seems driven not to liberate himself and others from suffering, as a monk or nun or bodhisattva might do, but rather actually seems to relish inflicting unnecessary suffering on others. This is part of the species' inherent violence. His working conjecture on this suffering conundrum goes something like this, and don't forget this is highly speculative, that, because money has universally replaced meaning, all work, done purely for money, has become extremely unsatisfying if not outright painful. And, not knowing what to do with this pain, and being, of course, held prisoner by its ignorance of the tacit mechanical, destructive nature of thought itself, it sees no other alternative but to use that very instrument, thought, to inflict suffering on others, a kind of, I suffer, therefore you shall suffer, too. A very distorted, perverse way of seeking some sort of balance, indeed. Commentary. Frequently, friends ask me in dialogue, when I try to outline this new descriptive epithet, the secular Christian, if I'm advocating for some purer or sacred form of Christianity. My answer is no, and that I go on to question all organized religion. Full stop. Another way of saying the same thing is that any religion with a name, I question. Try filling that into your senses form, this having been said, I am intensely interested in all things truly religious in the sense of attuning to the sacred, or spiritual, and how they are one with how I see art and science. At the same time, I also question the wisdom of, say, Richard Dawkins' style of radical materialism. A kind of reason and science are everything that turns anti-religion into, well, another kind of organized religion, or closed door, or rigid fundamentalism. Briefly, my own view is that we need something new. And that, once we see art and science and religion as springing from a common ground, the spiritual arises naturally when all measure, or thought, ends. It arises naturally as we enter the unknown of the pathless land, of emptiness, of wilderness. I hope that makes sense.
Real philosophy, the problems of academic philosophy are frequently like so much stagnant water, muddy, opaque, going nowhere. How different is real living philosophy, placing itself squarely in the middle of the natural world, walking the great ecotone of nature and culture, surrounding itself with the sounds of wild, free-flowing water, pursuing each new problem to its source, each step a potential change of direction, each step a potential new discovery. This is philosophy based not so much on knowledge, but rather on listening, on dialogue, on questioning. Small burr reed in quiet water, Sparganium natans. From water drop to river and back. Where the climax of complexity comes, we can never know for sure. But natural movement always begins and ends with simplicity. Draw a circle which is not surrounded by emptiness. Speak a word which does not emerge from in return to nothing at all. Solomon's Plume Smilachina Rasemosa, a beautiful member of the lily family that appears in the montane zone after snow melt. Every leaf has its own unique patternation of how water drops form on its surface. If you want to be a poet, call yourself a farmer. If you want to be a farmer, call yourself a religious man or woman. If you want to be a person of religion, call yourself a teacher. The first student is always yourself.
Native sunflowers, bright spirits of the sagebrush steppe. An annual, the flowers after summer solstice. Tragedy of the West. Cut it down, dig it up, put barbed wire round the rest. Conservation, conservation is a way of dealing with nature's basic asymmetry. That growth is slow and destruction fast. Natural beauty, natural beauty is beauty unaware of itself, humble, persistent in its growth, always deeply rooted where it stands. Moccasin flower, Cipripedium montanum one of our most beautiful native orchids. See the leaf backlit like the music of a poem. We finally remember to read out loud. Mountain maple, Acher glabrum. Legacy in an upside-down world. Some cultures do not mind their capital until it's almost spent. Others do not care for their rivers and forest until they are all but gone. Oh, America of the North, of the silver dollar of wilderness, what will you leave your children but a tarnished nickel of true forest, but two pence worth of a whole continent, one shimmering with free flowing rivers? This they will receive from us and yet it is they who must pay the bills for a collapsing climate in the mountains of waste we leave behind. Spire firs reflected, obvious lasiocarpa, at 2300 meters Will they replace the dying white bark pines?